there have been times when I did sound judgy and I didn't get a good feedback. So I realized very quickly that's not the way to go, you know? And not because, you know, you're angry about the stuff that's happening to people, the way people are being exploited. And that comes out maybe in your tone or in your words. But then you realize if you want people to change, you're going to have to realize that they're also on a journey and kind of go with them on that journey gradually. Hi, my name is Emily Chabon and welcome to Behind the Change, a podcast to inspire hope. Because let's be honest, sometimes it feels like the whole world has gone to shit. But here at Behind the Change, we speak to amazing humans who are doing really great things to make this world a better place. We find out what drives their leadership, what beliefs hold them firm in turbulent times, and what it really takes to grow their businesses and organizations to create even more impact. If you'd like to support our guests and little old me, then please share the episodes that you love. Rate and review because it really does help more people find us. And you can head to the show notes to join Behind the Scenes, a membership where you get bonus podcast episodes from me, exclusive access to a mini cast from every single guest, and heaps of other bonus content too. It's only $7 a month, and it goes a really long way to supporting this podcast and the guests that we are honoured enough to speak to. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of Behind the Change. Today, I speak to a phenomenal woman called Nina Gabor, who is the founder of EcoStyles. She's an award-winning sustainability advocate, an ethical fashion speaker, a climate activist, a writer, an educator, and oh my gosh, her style is just bold and bright and fierce. I cannot wait to go op shopping with this woman. Get me to Sydney. She has a master's degree in international development. She is a former sustainability fashion tutor and she coined the phrase, get off the fashion trend mill. This conversation is not just about fashion and it's not just about engineered poverty and it's not just about climate change. It is about mindset and it is about self-belief and it is about digging deep when it feels really hard This conversation was so inspirational and full disclosure, Nina and I carried on talking for like a good half an hour after we stopped recording. What a legend. I'm not going to say anything else. I am going to hand it all over to Nina. So Nina, thank you so much for being here with me today. I've been so excited about this interview because I cannot stop looking at your Instagram feed. Your style, lady, is so fierce. It's so bright and bold and oh just totally in love with it the what an aesthetic so much oh thank you I appreciate that really thank you and of course it goes so much deeper than that obviously what you stand for and the causes that you speak to are so so important uh so why don't you start by telling the audience a little bit about eco style and how you got into the world of fashion and sustainability the world of eco styles is basically EcoStyles is primarily a blog platform, but it's also where, you know, I, I am able to express myself um, with regards to things around sustainability and fashion, and it has everything from styling tips through to, you know, really complicated world issues around colonialism, <laughs> neoliberalism, economics, um, usually as it pertains to the fashion industry and women. It has, I talk about issues, you know, around the global north, global south all the way through to, you know, what 
colors make you happy with style and fashion. So it's it's quite varied. It's wide. I tr it's like a little bit of something for everyone. And also, you know, I run events, I attend events, I speak at events. So all of that is on the platform. And how I got to the space of being a speaker, eco stylist, um, advocate is kind of an act of the universe. I wish I could say, yeah, you know, this happened. And but actually, everything I do is something that a part of everything I do is something that, you know, from my experiences, right from childhood, right, incorporated into everything that I am now, everything that I stand for right now. Okay, so when I was a very little girl, um, I grew up in the US. Um, I'm originally West African, Nigerian to be specific. So when I was a little girl, my mom and my brothers and I, we used to watch movies from the 30s, 40s and 50s, right, and the 60s. You know, you talk about things, everything from The Sound of Music, Wizard of Oz, Breakfast at Tiffany's, To Catch a Thief. A lot of these films that had like all these golden Hollywood era style icons. You know, talking about Grace Kelly, Audrey Hepburn. So these women, like I loved how they look on screen. And I thought that's what it meant to grow up to be a woman, you know, to look like that. So that's what I aspired to. So I think that's where my love for vintage fashion came from. So um, a big portion of my style is very sort of 50s inspired. So my love for, for style came from there. When I was older, when I was a teenager, my family and I, we moved back to Nigeria. And I remember seeing a lot of things, you know, uh, I saw poverty and right in the midst of poverty, I also saw extreme wealth because uh, Nigeria is a very rich country because it's an oil rich country. And I couldn't understand why there was such huge disparity, why there's such extreme wealth and poverty at the same time. I learned about different, you know, entirely different culture, and one of the things I observed was that there was one particular ethnic group where the women did all of the physical work, like the, they were the, what do you call it, the breadwinners. They did all the farming, where the men in this ethnic group, they just kind of hung around all day and drank and just hung out. They didn't really seem to do much. And that shook my worldview because before that, I always thought, you know, men were the breadwinners. Mind you, I was like 14, 15 at this time. Men were the breadwinners of a family because of all the films I had been watching because of the culture that I was in and the religion that I grew up in. It just always felt like the man was the breadwinner and the women were more domestic, right? So this theme, this particular ethnic group really shook my worldview and I thought, wow, what the heck is this? But one thing I did observe was that in this particular ethnic group, the women being the breadwinners, they were looking after the children, the children were being educated, fed, the house was being taken care of, and they also looked after the men. So that made me realize that whenever women have that financial control, that financial power, everybody, it trickles down to everybody in the family. But unfortunately, in that environment, whenever it was just the men, it didn't always trickle down to everyone, unfortunately. And this is not to put down men. It's just what I observed at that time, mm. right? What I was exposed to. And that made me realize that, wow, if you really want to change the world, you have to empower women. Oh, I couldn't you know? agree with you more. Yeah, so that that was such a game changer for me. And so as I, you know, throughout my teenage years of in Nigeria, I thought, I want to do something. I want to help women and children in my life. So I thought, how am I going to do that? Okay, I can work with the UN, you know. So I decided to, to study international development. So I moved to the UK um, to study international development later on. And my goal was I was going to work with the UN and help women. Now, in the process of that, I, I realized there was a lot of bureaucracy involved in working in big organizations. It's it, You don't just go in there and then make big global changes. It doesn't happen. You have to, you know, slowly, gradually rise to the top, which could take 20, 30 years, who knows? 
so and also I had this love for fashion still where I was I was um shopping secondhand and there weren't really any jobs in that at the time at the time sustainable fashion wasn't a thing and I should mention when I was in Nigeria as well I would I started shopping secondhand a lot of clothes that you know don't sell in op shops here and also in the U.S. get imported get exported to countries like Nigeria Ghana um, other countries in Asia and South America and the Caribbean so I me seeing like all these secondhand clothes there's a lot of vintage there's a lot of trendy stuff I loved it because I got to like shop and create my own style and I I I, I got to like experience the vintage clothes from the 50s that nobody wanted it was amazing and I think that those were the moments that my eco styling career was born as well so and even when I got older and I started working and I could afford to shop wherever I wanted I didn't really want to I always loved the secondhand stuff because you're exposed to this wide array of fashion from every era different cultures and you can mix and match and just create really express what aligns with your soul so that's my thing about fashion and style so and that's why i think secondhand is really really good you know you just you're exposed to such a wide array of things that you find specifically who you are through that you know mm. um so yeah so carrying on after I finished uh, my studies, there was nothing on sustainable fashion. There was nothing on that, you know, that really appealed to me. So I ended up just kind of working in other jobs until 2015 when I moved to Australia. A documentary came out that really spoke about the damage that fashion is doing to the environment during manufacture, as well as, you know, while we wear it and disposal and the, the links to climate change. So that was when my whole thing moved from just being about wearing secondhand clothes to express who you are and reduce waste to be about, you know, the climate crisis and the environment and, of course, the social justice side of, of um, fashion. So that's kind of where I'm at. So now um, my style comes from, obviously, the movies from my childhood, my sort of social justice warrior, environmental crisis um, action taking side comes from, you know, my years living in Nigeria, uh, what I witnessed and experienced there. Yeah, so I'm just grateful that I'm, uh, the universe brought me to a position where I can take incorporate all the different experiences I had in my life into a career that I love. It's phenomenal. Reading your blogs has been such an eye-opener for me because I think, I mean, maybe I'll show my white girl ignorance here, but I think for me for a really long time, I just thought, oh yeah, fast fashion landfill. That's a bad thing. And yeah. so I try as much as possible to buy pre-loved clothes. I'm actually on a, a no fast fashion ban, complete ban yeah. at the moment. And it's been way easier than I thought it would be. But actually yeah. reading your blogs, it goes so much deeper, doesn't it? I mean, it's really, it's about engineered poverty. Yeah. In the fast fashion yeah. industry. It is. It is. I mean, it's, it's really narcissistic. And I use that word because the fashion industry, okay, do you know that you know, whatever we pay for garments, if we paid probably a, a dollar or two dollars more for what any garment you buy, and if that additional cost was passed on to the garment workers or the person who made it, they would have livable wages. Not a it's, lot of money, is it? It's that easy. But here's the thing: it shouldn't it shouldn't be on the consumers. It should be on the brands because the, the fast fashion brands are multi billion dollar corporations. It would cost them nothing right livable wages but the reason they don't is because it's easier for them to keep people in poverty so that they can continue to use them right because if if people are earn enough where they can you know maybe save money educate get educated, themselves 
start their own businesses, then they won't be able to exploit, but they won't have the numbers that they have. You know, they won't be able to exploit enough people to create enough products, the, the amount of products that they want to continue to grow their their margins, their profit margins, right? So it's kind of deliberate, Yeah, I think. Yeah. The commodification of human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. God, that's yeah. so fucking depressing, isn't it, Nina? <laughs> it really is. Um, what do you think has been one of your biggest challenges? Because, you know, you're talking about 2015 when you saw this documentary and you began to merge your two sort of passions, I suppose, together. And yeah. back back then, there wasn't much talk about fast fashion. I mean, we really yeah. were in fast fashion's heyday. We were in the day of the high street, weren't we, in 2015? Yeah. Did you find yeah. a lot of resistance? Were people like, la, 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 I don't want to hear this? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I've always been a secondhand clothing advocate. And I was more, at that time, it was more secondhand and personal development. That was my focus. But when fast fashion actually became a mainstream conversation and a thing, I found that, yeah. So I lived in uh, when I first moved to Australia, I had to live in Canberra, which is the capital city. <laughs> I love the and, way that you say I had to live in Canberra. <laughs> yeah, because, because it's it's a government politically focused city. For yeah, someone in fashion, it is so not the place to go in Australia. You know, I have no. to, you know, and um, it's it was hard. It was like pushing a big rock up a hill because one thing with Canberra is the highest it has the highest amount of highest level of disposable income in the country people with the highest level of disposable income. So there's a lot of, you know, free, a lot of wealth relatively. And people were like, why should I buy secondhand? You know, I go to like women's networking events and they'd be like, oh, I love your dress. Where'd you get it from? And I'd be like, salvos. And they'd look at me like I had 10 heads. Like, you're actually admitting that? That's for poor people. That's where like, you know, <laughs> your grandmother's dirty old clothes, moldy stuff. They never said it, but that was the attitude. So it was really hard. It took a lot of effort. I used to run clothes swap events, but I would have to like serve wine and refreshments to make it look like a party and have music to kind of detract from the real reason. It was, it was a lot, it was a lot, but thankfully, you know, through time, you know, we had um, programs like War on Waste from the ABC mm-hmm. and other, other sort of mainstream media outlets started talking about these issues eventually so that kind of helped support my cause and people started coming around so those women that were really sort of irritated by the fact that I was promoting you know secondhand clothing for example they send me selfies of themselves in the changing room in Vinny's trying on a dress you know so so that was that was really great to see it made me feel like you know I could I should keep going no matter how hard it was Mm. what do you do in those moments when it's really hard I think I'll be honest with you. There are moments when I'm just like, you know what? This, I don't know why I bother. This is not worth it. I should just be like everybody else, just go get a job and where I can make lots of money. You know, I have the education, and the skills. but then at the same time, you come back to yourself. There are moments when something, the universe will just throw you something that brings you back to yourself. And sometimes it could just be something as simple as I'm just, I'll get a pop-up on my feed of something, a quote from Audrey Hepburn or something, and I'll be like, ah, oh, you know? You have one of those, ah, oh, moments. And really, the truth is that nothing gives me fulfillment like what I do. So in those moments when it's really challenging, I'll try something else, but I get rewarded, but there, I don't get the fulfillment. So I think reminding me of my, not to sound cliche, but reminding myself of the why, mm. 
reminding myself of why I do it and looking at my future and thinking, yeah, I need to live a life that's purposeful and meaningful. And I'm not here by accident. By here, I mean, whether it's physically here in Australia or here in my career, it's not by accident. All I need to do is look at my past and it's written all over my past. So it only makes sense that I'm here for a reason. And I just need to trust the process and keep going. So those those reminders are pretty good. Do you think there was a tipping point for you when you were like, oh, okay, this is actually really working and I'm monetizing this? Because of course, when it comes to things like social justice, and I think all business owners and entrepreneurs have to go through this, that, that moment when you're like, I've still got to pay my rent though in those early stages of business and yes. monetizing okay. is hard and you don't know how to monetize and there's especially when it comes to sort of social justice and this the type exactly. of work that you're doing like how is yeah. the best way to monetize that like how was that rocky road for you I'm presuming oh it was rocky <laughs> oh it was extremely rocky because with the thing with with <laughs> particularly sustainable sustainable fashion because one fashion is seen as frivolous just the word when you say fashion just think frivolous and not to be taken seriously and two sustainability people see it as charity not something even though we're in a climate crisis and all the things are happening in the world people still see it as charity for some reason not and when when we should all each and every one of us on this planet should be seeing it as our responsibility right so when you're talking about these issues like people when I started oh it was it was it was comedy when I think about it because you know people would know I'd state the issues and the, you know social justice issues the environmental issues as well as the fun side the the fashion side the fun side the pretty side the artistic side and then but still people will be like oh I will you can come and speak at my event you can come and present but we don't have budget to pay you and these are most well, sometimes really big organizations <laughs> and they'd be like oh we can't we can't we don't have the budget to pay you but you can come and speak you know maybe um it'll raise your profile and i'm like <laughs> <laughs> you know and i got that a lot particularly when i lived in canberra you know so it's like a lot of it was educating it's like you have to educate people as well as try to get them to pay you for your work, your skills, your, you know, what you're giving. So that, that was really challenging. And I don't know how I got through that, but I did. So, but now I think for anyone who starts a business or, or an initiative, I think you have to love it. And I think Steve Jobs said this, if you don't love it, you're just not going to last, particularly if it's something that has to do with, you know, not-for-profit related, although it's, I'm not a not-for-profit, but that sort of thing. You have to be passionate about it. You have to love it. Otherwise, you're just going to give it up. So I think sometimes on a practical side, sometimes you do other other side gigs. Mine was like small acting roles and working in that artistic space. So you do side stuff to kind of um, help you get through the tough times. But thankfully now, considering I live, I lived in Melbourne, then now I live in Sydney, people are a lot more understanding of why these issues are important. So they're they're willing to treat you with more respect um, and treat and, and pay you to for those services because they understand why it's necessary, why it's important. And a lot of people, a lot of corporations now, thankfully, have similar goals around environment. You know, they have the SG, ESG policies and things like that. So it's a lot easier. But my advice to anyone who's starting off and it's really hard 
you know, pushing that rock up a hill is just keep going, provided that you know in your soul, in your heart, that this is what you're meant to be doing. It gives you fulfillment. Just keep pushing. Um, do what you have to do to keep it going because you will get there. You will get to that top, the top of that hill at some point. You know, you just got to keep pushing it. It's funny how things roll around in our culture when, for example, you might have a hobby of golfing as a teenager. What teenagers golf, right? But for some reason, you're really passionate. This is just an example. You're really passionate about it, right? And nobody's into it. Everybody makes fun of you, but you keep up with your golfing pro, you know, blog or social media account. And then for whatever reason, uh, someone like Tiger Woods, a young Tiger Woods comes in to, onto the scene and makes golfing popular amongst young people. Do you know how instantly, almost overnight, you know, you're going to hit, your, your blog is going to hit, you know, and that's why things will change. So you just never know why you have a particular passion. Just keep it up. There's definitely a reason for it. So that's usually my advice with people trying to push rocks up hills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Sometimes it feels like there's more than one hill and more than one rock, but we keep on pushing anyway, right? Yeah, there's, there's a reason why something inside of you is, is pushing for that thing. And yeah. it makes no logical sense most of the time, but you just got to trust it. Mm. What's been your biggest lesson as a leader? Because I would say that you absolutely lead your field. And especially, I think you're very unique in the fact that you do tie in, like you say, the fun side of fashion, the sustainability, but also that social justice element to it. So as a leader in your field, what has been your biggest lesson to date? I would say a more recent lesson is moving forward without fear. Oof. Um, yeah. So I will admit that that all this I'm saying, I've, everything I've said previously must have sounded like, oh, I was very confident, and very, but I wasn't. Mm. And I, looking back, I feel like I've lost, I've missed out on opportunities in some instances because I was afraid and I didn't trust because, you know, you're doing something that nobody else is doing. It's hard. It's different if, for example, if you want to be a teacher, a teacher, that profession has been around for centuries. There are prescribed paths. It's easy. You get this degree or this course and blah, blah, boom, boom, boom. Step by step, you do it. Millions of people have done it, right? There's and everyone knows what you're doing, right? Yeah. Everyone knows what you're yeah. doing. Everyone understands it. You know, there's no, you know, you're, you, you go to the, the, at the dinner table with your family or, you know, holidays with your family. You say you're becoming a teacher. Everyone's like, oh, great. You know, they know what to expect. But with for me, and even till now, there's no actual terminology for what I do it's like I make it up as I go along so I was afraid and people are not encouraging not because they're not nice but because they don't understand it and they can't see the end goal for what you're trying to achieve so they they discourage you not out of disrespect or they want you to fail out of love they want they want you to do something that will be progressive and sorry that will be uh, productive in their in their understanding right so on that account, I, I did have, I was discouraged by other people who wanted me to do something that made sense to them out of love, but I was, I didn't trust myself. You know, when I talk about something inside you pushes you to do this, I didn't trust, there were times when I didn't trust it enough to take risks that would open up, you know, bigger doors for me. So I think biggest lesson has been to trust and not be afraid. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, worst case scenario, 
that teaching gig is still going to be there. Yeah, absolutely. Is there like something like a core belief that you have developed or something that you've really learned about yourself in this journey so far? Yeah, I learned that I'm, I'm a lot stronger than I ever imagined I could possibly be. I know this is going to sound arrogant and please don't take it the wrong way, but I learned that I was right all along. So, I don't think that's arrogant at all, but I think it's yeah. interesting that you had to feel like you had to preference that with, I hope you don't think this is arrogant. Cause I wonder if a yeah. man would have done. No, actually, <laughs> no, no. you know, it's where we're raised, right. As women, but it's and the way society expects us to be, but no, it's that. And this is not just from external other people. This is with myself as well. I have to take responsibility for this because I believe, okay, I believe in intuition. I'm a strong believer in intuitive guidance. And you hear that from really successful people as well. You know, the gut feeling, being guttural and just an inner knowing. So I learned that my intuition is right, has always been right. Because even when I don't, I never listen to it. I find that now I'm back here looking at the, the choices that were offered by my intuitive guidance that I didn't take, you know, so, mm. yeah. God, that's yeah. really powerful. How do you know when your intuition is talking to you? What, like, what does that look or sound like for you? Because I think it is different for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So physically, it doesn't look like anything. It's just uh, deep within. How do I explain intuition? Now, this is very good. So usually it comes in form of a whisper, but not a whisper that you hear. It's a, it's a feeling. It's a deep inner feeling. Now, we have to be careful with our emotional feelings, because, for example, if you see something horrific visually, like something a, f- a person has a really bad fall that's emotional but that's that's influenced by your eyes what you saw then you imagined you know what falling feels like you know the pain and then you have a feeling intuition is the opposite it comes from the inside first not influenced by any external factors or what you know it's just what a deep deep inner feeling the way i could the best way i can explain it is this i'll give you an example have you ever met someone we meet people all the time right have you ever met someone and straight away you just clicked before a word was said you know that this is my person this girl this guy this kind of best friend you just it just happens and you're probably best friends for many many years you just it just instant automatic natural you you just knew right same thing have you ever met someone and there's nothing physically wrong with them On, on paper they look like someone that could be your best friend for life physically but you just you're just repulsed by them for no reason you probably even blame yourself like why am I like this? Of course, you know, there's something about that. And it's not that they're being mean. They could be perfectly nice, but there's something you just do not trust yeah. and you can't explain why. And if you try to tell someone, they'll like, they'll be like, what is wrong with you? She was nice. Mm, but just not my vibe. Yes. Mm. Yes. Not your vibe. There was something. So that's your intuition talking to you, mm. both on the positive side, when you meet someone and you're, you're, you're something on inside you says, yes. And then, you know, on the negative side, when something's like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. she's being sweet, she brought you a present, she's doing everything for you, she bought you a drink, but mm-mm. Mm. you don't know why, right? But if you go to proceed with that friendship with that person that your inner guidance is warning you about, at some point, you're going to see why your, your intuition was telling you not to be friends with that person, right? Mm. Something will happen. So, and I'm not saying that necessarily that person is a bad person. It's just, not your person to be friends with that's all Mm. right so that's what intuition is like you just that deep inner knowing yeah that's such a great way of explaining it and have you found that that has really helped you in terms of 
business opportunities like sometimes a business opportunity will come to you and you're like for some reason the answer is no but I can't tell you what the reason is yes yes yeah so this wasn't on a business level but it was on a a life level so I was living in a different suburb here in Sydney and I was living in this place and it was fine everything was fine in general mostly but I had to move suddenly and I had I just had to move and I didn't know why I just had to leave and I mean there were a few things that happened but it wasn't anything dramatic enough that I had to leave suddenly the way I did but my intuition was like you move and I did and the landlord of the place I moved to is someone that I would never expect to be friends with or to not that we're friends but shortly after I moved out I moved she got me two business opportunities not deliberately she was like oh is this what you do okay because we we're just having a conversation that oh I'm, I'm she's like why do you have so many clothes and I was like oh this is what I do she's like oh okay oh you do you do shows okay um I work for this organization and we're doing this festival but at that festival I met so many people that have been like we want you to work come and do this 2023 2023 we're doing these events we want you to so my 2023 is already looking kind of at least the first half kind of full so I don't know was that what was meant to happen whereas where I lived before that would never have happened now I moved to Sydney about a year ago and I've been trying to you know do much more in Sydney it's been fantastic I've been super busy but you know we always want to grow right so for me moving and meeting this landlady who on paper there is no reason why you would expect someone like her to have the kind of job that she has, right? But she does, you know? Um, so that was a surprise to me. So, you know, yeah. that that's an example of, of intuitive guidance. Now, in a more, in a more, I couldn't really explain to my previous landlord, who were lovely, why I had to move. Mm. It just, it would have made me sound crazy. So I had to <laughs> some story. Intuition is a crazy thing though, isn't it? It is a crazy thing. It's mm. crazy. But, you know, once we trust it, it's there to help us and guide us through life. And when we trust it, we save ourselves a lot of trouble as well as create a lot of opportunities for ourselves. Yeah. So, yeah. I really quickly want to just circle back to sustainability and, and fashion before we close off this amazing conversation. I have a quick question about consumption and what do you think it is in human beings that compels us to consume? Is it just clever marketing? Is it something innate in us? Is it just yeah. the Instagram algorithm? What <laughs> is it this this thing that makes us like look at a look at a garment of clothing that we can see isn't particularly well made that we know probably hasn't been made in a factory which has the best conditions and yet we're compelled to buy it? What like in terms of human psychology, what is that? Yeah, it's definitely a combination of all those things. <laughs> but I think human psychology. So I think in the first place, and this has been a generational thing with the human species. This is my own belief. Um, is that we, over what I believe would have been centuries, generations, have valued material substances, material things, over our humanity, mm. meaning over empathy, over connection with other humans, over community, over our personal growth and our personal development. We've put material stuff above all of that, right? Mm. That's, for, that's number one. And as humans, of course, we always want upliftment. Upliftment can, can come in form of gratification, something that uplifts us, which is different for everyone, but it just comes good feelings 
Yeah, get my dopamine going. Dopamine, yeah. So now that combination of valuing material things and then we're looking for dopamine hit, always feeling good, I think is a potent combination. And that's what keeps us buying stuff that we don't need to impress people that we don't even like or don't even know, right, on social media. So of course the algorithms help us out, good advertising influencers help us out with that and they get rewarded hugely financially in many most cases but i think i think there's something deep innate within us that you know sometimes feel we're not enough and in order to be enough we need that thing i mean not that that thing's going to solve our problems but we feel better by having that thing where it's going to give us status it's going to give us that dopamine hit it's going to give us something right now just imagine like if we converted this generational human problem we have we flipped it on the on its head and instead of valuing material things we started valuing those other things i talked about like connection with others genuine connection with others or we valued like our personal growth right like just like imagine all those girls that come on with their fashion hauls and all those fashion influencers and whatever imagine if the cool thing that they were promoting was like oh my gosh i did not drink today Mm. that was imagine imagine how widespread that was like oh my gosh like I got upset and I didn't binge today yeah I sat yeah. with my emotion today and it was hard and I, I did it anyway I didn't get angry today that somebody said something that really upset me or they did this or my phone company did this and instead of getting angry and screaming or counseling them or going online and say something nasty I sat down with it for five whole minutes you guys I am that feeling was euphoric they didn't take drugs, but just through doing that, they felt euphoric, you know? Imagine if that was a cool thing, you know? So I think as humans, we're seeking, I don't want to say love, but we're seeking validation, whether it's from ourselves or for others. So we, we, we try to get that validation from material things, from other people, rather than developing ourselves and letting that come from within, mm. you know? So I think, yeah, that's that's the core core issue there I think so it's a right. massive massive conversation isn't it like it's such a big culture shift it's to huge. expect of humanity and I suppose that's when I have to remember like patience is key because it will be slow and it will be yeah oh gosh not happen in our lifetime right but we have you and to I you and I you and I will be long gone yeah <laughs> before that that becomes a thing but here's a beautiful thing I think with a platform like yours, which by the way, I love what you are doing. You. And I have to say, I love this interview because it's extremely rare for me to actually talk about these things. And these principles are actually what guide me in my work. They're actually what, and I I should talk about them enough more, sorry, talk about them more on my platform, but I love to be able to talk about real, have real conversations. I consider this a real conversation. Not that talking about statistics about fashion and climate change are not real conversations, but this is what sits underneath everything else that if we shifted, it would shift everything else. Yeah. So thank you for creating this platform and thank you for giving me the opportunity to have this conversation in relation to fashion. Yeah, I just love it. Thank you. Yeah, well, I think these are the these are the uncomfortable conversations that we need to lean into, aren't they? And and really seeing our part and and taking the full responsibility for that, and understanding that our voices are important. And absolutely. And absolutely. I, I, one of the things I struggle with, I don't know if you struggle with this because I it 
it doesn't seem from an outsider looking at your social media account and listening to you speak it doesn't seem like you do but I sometimes feel like I can get a bit preachy and I think that's where this conversation gets quite uncomfortable sometimes because sometimes like a friend will be like oh look and I bought this and I bought this and I bought this and I'll be like why did you buy all that stuff like and I have to really kind of rein myself in and remind myself that like there is a there is a way to have this conversation that isn't accusatory is that word accusatory um and isn't righteous or judgmental even though probably I do feel a bit of judgment and of course I think that again like like knowing who you are and knowing how to process your own emotion mm-hmm. allows you to step into the uncomfortableness of these types of conversations and some of the judgments that come up as a result of these types of conversations because if I hadn't done a whole bunch of personal development work that judgment I would not want to feel so I would okay. just I would probably go out and buy loads of clothes as well <laughs> you know or have and absolutely yeah. have done in the past yeah so I just wonder do you ever feel a bit righteous or judgmental of people or do you do you have a way that you kind of like let that go yeah um I'll be honest you know this has been a journey this 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 career I didn't start off being patient of people trust me you know but you get your feedback you know I mean business you know you start and you always it's a feedback process there have been times when I did sound judgy and I didn't get a good feedback so Mm. I realized very quickly that's not the way to go you know and not because you know you're angry about the stuff that's happening to people the way people are being exploited and that comes out maybe in your tone or in your words but then you realize if you want people to change you're gonna have to realize that they're also on a journey and kind of go with them on that journey gradually right and not um not impose things because so yeah it is hard and also not to judge yourself because even as someone who advocates, you make mistakes. Mm. And, but you have to realize, I think so long as you're being open and honest about it, you know, I never tried to, I try my best not to come off as if I'm perfect or I know everything. Um, I'm also learning a lot about myself and also within the space that I work in. And yeah, it's just, I just try to acknowledge and remember all the time that everyone's on a different journey. You know, everyone comes into the space from a different angle through different experiences at different times. And, you know, hopefully we're all trying to work towards a similar or common goal. Some might be slower than others, but um, yeah, it is. So with, with that judgment, I, with, if it's a human being, an individual, I never call out a person. Mm. I don't um, unfortunately, it's weird because when I'm with people, when I got with people that, or they, they're always like almost apologizing for not being fashionable that they didn't dress. I'm like, wear what you want, wear what makes you happy. You don't have to dress up because I'm there. Or they'll be like, oh, I bought this from Zara or I bought this. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You're not the one, <laughs> you're not the owner of Zara. You're not the one. Yeah. So don't worry about it. If you yeah. bought a t-shirt from Zara, whatever. It's fine. But I think for me, it's more about, I do call out brands, particularly yeah. big brands. I don't call out small brands because um, they're small and it's hard for them. But big brands, absolutely, yes. Big corporations, fast fashion corporations all the time. I will go to town mm-hmm. on them because there is no excuse for doing what they're doing. They're a multi-billion dollar company. So it's, it's not going to, if they wanted to change overnight, they could, but try, they try to act like it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. But 2020, taught us that it is very easy, no matter how big and gigantic a government or a corporation is, they can change overnight if they have to. Mm. 
So um, the pandemic proved that, right? So I just feel there's no excuse for them. You know, if it comes to research and development, they have the funding to do it with the best institutions anywhere in the world. Um, they don't even need to because a lot of organizations and universities have already done the, re the research to find, you know, better alternatives. So it's just a matter of choice and empathy at this stage. Yeah. So yeah, I am very judgmental of them. <laughs> I love that. Put the judgment where it probably deserves to be, which is yeah. on the, the organizations and not necessarily the individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Nina, before you go, whose voice should I have on this podcast? Who else should I speak to? Oh, my gosh. Uh, there's a girl named Akanksha Manjunath. She has a platform called Not a Compliment. So it's all these things about how it's particularly on women and women and equality and how, you know, anything from street harassment to you know, backhanded compliments or things that subversive things that put women down, whether in the workplace or in schools or in public, you know, that term sweetheart, when it comes yeah. to women, like you're like, cheer up, love. Kind of, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like you're dumb or you're, you're beneath me type of thing. But anyway, they address a lot of those things that empower women. So right yeah. up my street. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. for sure. Exactly. And these are things that, you know, as a woman, like they build up over time and just make you like, it just like, oh, but you don't, there's some, they're, they're kind of subtle, but strong. Mm, it's and the subtle things that are the dangerous ones though, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes like it's in a, in a, in an environment where you can't say anything mm. because you don't want to look like the aggressive woman, particularly if you're black, oh, oh Lord, have mercy. you know, so it's like, so you just sit with it and it stays with you. And that it's that staying with you thing that's really, really, really bad, you know, because it's distracting from your overall harmony and, you know, your peace of mind, which is, and that's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Oh, I am going to jump in on that. Uh, that's a conversation I absolutely need to be part of. And finally, Nina, where can people find you? We'll obviously link your everything below. Have you got anything coming up or um, what's the best place for people to interact with you? Uh, best place is probably Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, you come through my website, but Instagram is really good. Um, coming up, I worked with this, partnered with this organization called Garage Sale Trail. And they are Australia's biggest festival of pre-love stuff. So over two weekends, they encourage people to sell stuff in their homes that they have that they no longer use. Or you can put in your postcode, and it's free to register, by the way put in your postcode on their website to find garage sales happening in your neighborhood. So you can do a little trail. You oh, know, that's awesome. Trail. Yeah. But they also do like speaker programs um, from November, sorry, October 29th to November the 6th or 5th, where um, you have people talking about, you know, things like for anything from fashion, you know, uh, you have some amazing sustainable stylists and people who talk about, you know, how to resell fashion and they teach you how to sell online, um, as well as people who talk about secondhand home refurbishment or like secondhand furniture, how to like get the best of it and um, how to make it amazing. And then there's a circular economy session, which I will be in talking about thrifting, right? And the circular economy in general. So you have, we're going to have some really, really high profile people hosting and speaking as well as people who you know you have a 20 year old who's a good tick good on tiktok and talking about thrifting in adelaide so it's just a huge variety of people which is something that i love just people who are really in it for the right reasons and really care about 
you know, the circular economy. So it's just going to be a lot of fun. That sounds awesome. Amazing. I will be registering. Nina, thank you so much for your time today. I have so enjoyed this conversation. You're an absolute legend and you've taught me a thing or two. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Like, again, I really love what you're doing. And you know how we said earlier that it's going to take a long time for humanity to change. And it's platforms like yours that, you know, set are helping, will help to set the tone and help people think about differently about, you know, how they're living and everything we've believed in our societies up till now. So thanks for letting me be, be, um, be a part of it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, if you enjoyed that interview with Nina, then make sure that you hop over to Behind the Scenes. You can go to the show notes. All of the details about how to join us behind the scenes are there because Nina and I continue to talk for about 15 to 20 minutes about all sorts of things. But really interesting, we started delving into the world of finance and money and how we monetize our passion, all the belief systems that we have about ourselves, how we need to move through those paradigms in order to create a really healthy relationship with money when it comes to advocating for what it is that we believe to be true when it comes to running an ethical and purpose-led business oh my god the conversation it's not about money I mean it is about money but it was so much more than money it was really a conversation about mindset and about self-belief and about uncovering parts of yourself that consciously you don't even know exist so if you are interested in that kind of conversation make sure you head behind the scenes and have a listen (music) 